Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and changemakers. Let's get started. Hey folks, this is Kyle Brost with the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Really excited to have Nathan on and uh, explore his journey, talk about some of the things that he's working on specifically around um, outsourcing work and what that might look like and how to do it well. Uh, There's some fun stuff to talk about with regard to that, both personally and professionally. And so I'm excited to dive into those things that you may not think on the surface apply to you, but uh, I promise you, as you listen along, you'll discover that there are some really strong applications to both your personal and professional life. Nathan, do you mind uh, elaborating, giving us a little bit of a background on who you are for the whole audience? Yeah. First of all, uh, Kyle, thanks so much for having me. So I've never had a real job. <laughs> I started my first business when I was a, a freshman at, a, at Quinnipiac University. I started a, an Amazon business. I started off buying and selling textbooks out of my college dorm room. I created a little referral program competing against a school bookstore. And before I knew it, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books. And it became addicting. I f- came across Amazon.com almost by accident. Um, and once I started getting away from books and experimenting into different categories, I failed over and over and over again. I, I tried sporting equipment and, and outdoor supplies and computers and video games. And the only thing that I could sell were books. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone that I was able to sell baby products at a very high level. So if you can imagine me as a 20-year-old freshman in college, or I guess 19-year-old, um, I was selling baby products millions of dollars out of my college dorm room. Now, well, it's funny. Yeah. So as I grew this e-commerce business that I had no idea what I was doing and I was learning everything for the first time, I had to start hiring people. And who was I going to hire? The college kids around me I found to not be that reliable. There was no 30-year-old marketing expert who wanted to work for me. So I really got thrown into the remote hiring world, the Upworks, the Fivers of the world. And I got pretty good at it. I obviously made mistakes along the way, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But once I became good at it, I realized all my time shifted from what I really liked doing, which was growing my Amazon business, to what I didn't really like doing, which was the interviewing, posting jobs, hiring, and all the stuff that goes with it. So that's really when I came up with the idea of my own platform where we vet applicants, we get hundreds every week, we take the top 1%, we make, we let them in, and then we make them available to people fast whenever they need them with 24-7 support and a no turnover guarantee. So that's kind of the short version on how I went from a broke college kid to starting two companies. Well, I love the journey and, and it definitely resonates with me uh, because I started my first business when I was in college too. And, uh, and I had some similar experiences in terms of success and failure and what worked and what didn't work. I always joke with people, um, my, my first company was a commercial carpet cleaning business in college. And, uh, and I started this business thinking that I could undercut everybody's prices and, uh, and a lot of the dorms and stuff had it in their contracts that they had to have the carpet cleaned. So I started this business with this mindset that, man, this is going to be glorious because 
nobody's going to be able to compete on price and everybody has to get their carpets clean. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, and I joke that I discovered a couple of things really quickly. The first one is that, uh, if you're going to be cleaning somebody's carpet, dorm rooms are not the carpet you want to be cleaning. <laughs> and then the second one is if you're going to be asking people for money, college kids are not the people you want to be asking for money from. So I, uh, <laughs> I had this business model that I thought was brilliant and it turned out to be kind of a disaster, but I had to make a shift and, and uh, you know, fortunately I did successfully make a shift and it sounds like you did as well. I'm really curious, how, how did you go from textbooks to baby products? Like how did, what, where did that piece come from? What was the impetus for selling baby products? Yeah. So you have to remember this was back in 2008, 2009. So there were no Amazon gurus out there. There were no courses. No one really knew what Amazon was. And once I established the business, people thought I was running a scam because there was no job title as Amazon seller. It just didn't exist. So everything that I was doing was uncharted territory and it was all trial and error. I mean, I looked at my situation, right? I had some money saved up in the bank account from summer jobs, but we're not talking a lot of money, a few thousand dollars. And then I had a college dorm room, which wasn't exactly a warehouse. So I had to figure out how do I buy products and sell on Amazon without storing anything. And that's really when I had the idea for drop shipping. And this was years before I even knew it was called drop shipping. I didn't find that out until years later. The concept that I could build relationships with these vendors, manufacturers, distributors, have them focus on what they're good at, which is making the product and shipping it out. And I would focus on what I became good at, which was getting products to sell on Amazon and the customer service behind it. So that's really where the basic concept came. And once I had the idea, it was a lot of trial and error to see what worked. I, I mentioned I tried sporting equipment and DVDs and computer games. And, and here and there, I would get stuff to sell. But for the amount of time that I was spending, I wasn't really making any money. So once I came across the baby product industry, all of a sudden sales started to take off. And if you think about it just logically, I mean, what's the biggest industry? Probably funeral homes, right? Because it's everyone, everyone dies. Mm -hmm. But right below that, you have the, the home and baby products because most people have kids, most people um, eventually have a house. So I think that's why we've had success, but it wasn't like I, I, that was what I planned out. That just is what I came up with. And by trial and error, that's what I had the most success in. So I invested more time and more energy into it. I like that. You know. I I've talked on previous podcasts about that, you know, this whole process of success is one of adapting and figuring things out along the way. It's not like you always, you know, it's not like you pick this destination and that you're just going to go straight there, that it's going to be this process of adapting and figuring things out. And a great analogy that I like to use is, and I've used this again on previous podcasts, but you know, when an airplane takes off from Denver and it's headed to whatever, New York city, it doesn't just stay, it doesn't go on a, a straight line from Denver to New York City. It has this ideal line, but the plane itself is constantly deviating off of that line and course correcting. And that's really how we have to be. We have to recognize that we're going to constantly deviate off that line and, and constantly course correct by adapting and exploring different ways of doing things. So I love your example of being able to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I talked to someone yesterday who was starting up their own business and they had been planning it out for six months or so. And my advice to them was just go do it. I mean, all this planning, you could be a month in your business and realize the market and the data and everything around you is telling you something completely different. And all those months planning is down the drain. I mean, the only way to really understand whether your business is going to work and how to change it is to do it and to read the market and to try different things and make adjustments along the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm a huge proponent of preparation, but I also tell people that you've got to be really careful of paralysis by analysis, right? Where you spend so much time gathering data and information and figuring out what it's going to take to be successful that you get bogged down in that. And now you're paralyzed from actually moving forward. So I love that you highlighted, you've really got to start before you're ready and get out there in order to know for sure. And, uh, and it reminds me of uh, there's a Harvard business professor named Clayton Christensen that does a lot around strategy and stuff. And he shared a story one time and he said, you know, when I die, I'm going to ask God a couple of questions. And one of those questions that he's going to ask is, why did you only give us data from the past to predict the future? And sometimes I think we miss that, that all of this data and analysis we're doing is all about the past. And the only way to know for sure what's going to actually play out in the future is to go do it. Of course. And I mean, the feedback loop is so important. When we were starting free up, we, we immediately asked the new clients for feedback. We asked new clients for feed or new freelancers for feedback as well. Um, we're always trying to adapt to what people are telling us. I mean, when we started, we would offer this Amazon course because at first we were a marketplace for Amazon freelancers and the course would help someone become a seller and then the seller would hire freelancers. So it was kind of, we would capitalize on both parts. But we quickly realized that there were a lot of other courses out there, most of them that were way better than ours. And where our money was, was the freelancers. That's what people really liked. So we quickly adapted based on that feedback. And even today, when we've gone from zero to 10 million in three years, a 10 million run rate, we're still looking for that feedback. I talk to clients every day and I'm saying, hey, what do you like? What do you not like? How do I improve? It's all about continuing to get that information and not being stuck in one way with your business, being willing to adapt and change things based on that feedback. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, and so you actually give a nice segue into, in my experience, a lot of great ideas and innovations and powerful uh, successes come from some challenge that that started it. There was some challenge or problem that needed solved, and that's what was the impetus. So talk to us about what that challenge or problem was, and you alluded to it earlier, but talk to us about what that challenge or problem was that got you to this point where you recognize the need for free up. Yeah. So we all know hiring freelancers is big now. I mean, outsourcing the gig economy, it's an $800 billion industry. Over the next 10 years, over 50% of the workforce is going to be remote. So it's getting crazy. It's growing fast. There's a huge need for it, but it takes forever as a business owner. And I remember that it was an actual day that I spent eight straight hours posting jobs, doing interviews, talking to people. And at the end of the day, I still didn't feel comfortable that I had found someone that I liked. And I actually picked up a chair and I tossed it against the wall, which is not like me at all. And I said, there just has to be a better way. And that's really when the idea for free up came something where I, it was based on what I wanted. I wanted a place where I could be like, hey, I need a US marketing expert or I need a customer service VA that knows Amazon. And within 24 hours, without me putting in a lot of work, they would send me some options. And then I could pick and choose and move forward and move on to bigger and better things. And, and that's really what I wanted. And when I couldn't find that solution, I built it myself. What do you think separates that, that element? So uh, you're not the only person that's faced that problem. What separates the, what makes the distinction between you who says, I'm facing this problem and I'm going to go build a solution versus the person who also faced the same problem, but chose not to build a solution? What do you think that distinction is? 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of factors. I think the timing was definitely one. I mean, with the Amazon business, we, we were so used to doubling every year. And then when these courses and gurus came out, we were still holding strong, but we definitely weren't doubling every year. And we were selling products that we weren't that passionate about. I, even though we sold a lot of baby products, it's not something that I spend my free time on. Um, and so we were always looking for other opportunities or, or what to do next or how to change the business. So we, that idea kind of came at a good time. Um, we had obviously passed business experience where we kind of knew where we were getting into if we were going to start a startup. I think the the fear of building a business from scratch is a fear a lot of people can't get over to begin with. And, and there are a lot of failures that go with it. And having some experience definitely helps you. Um, but there's also just those action steps like we talked about before. I mean, we got free up up and running within a few months. And I feel like Yes, the, the planning is important, like you said, but we went out there with a very beta product and we got feedback and we adjusted and we weren't afraid to get rejected or to get bad feedback. Um, and I think that's the other thing that people um, get scared of and, and why they shy away from making actual moves. No, that's good. I like that. I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest value that comes from outsourcing work? So I always say there's two ways to hire. You've got taking stuff off your plate and getting hours in your day back because that's so important. I didn't just wake up one day and hire 40 people. I figured out how do I get two hours of my day back? How do I get 10 hours of my week back? And I made a list of all the things that I was doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. And I slowly started chipping away, taking the easiest stuff off my plate. So I shifted my time from the easiest stuff to the more advanced, the getting new clients, the marketing, the Facebook lives, the podcast, so that I'm focusing on big picture stuff at all times times. So that's one advantage. The second advantage is me and my business partner, Connor, we sat out on a balcony one day and back and forth, we said, you're bad at this. (laughs) And we would write it down. And it was incredibly uncomfortable. But at the end, we had a list of everything we were bad at. And yes, we realized we complimented each other very well on a lot of things. So we made good business partners, but we also had a list of things that we were both bad at, yet we were doing them every single week. So the other thing that outsourcing lets you do is it lets you hire specialists and experts to come in and turn weaknesses into strengths. I could spend the next six months learning Facebook ads. I'm a decently smart person. I could probably become a pro at it, but that's not a great use of my time. It's much better for me to hire an expert to come in and take that part of my business over. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize when they're hiring, that you have to take easy tasks off your plate, but also be able to focus on your core competencies and not the weaknesses. So I'm glad that you highlighted that. That's where I was hoping you would go. Uh, for me, as as somebody who deals in strategy, uh, I consult with numerous organizations around strategy. I deal with strategic thinking. One of the biggest benefits to me, and I'm a huge proponent of outsourcing, is that it frees up the ability to focus on strategy. When you're bogged down in all of the day-to-day tactics, and to your point, things that would take me long, even though I could learn it over six months, it would take me so much longer to do because I'm not expert at it. I don't have the experience at it. And I can find somebody to do that quickly and efficiently And I can then direct my attention and effort toward those things that are really top priorities that are strategic and that uh, give me the most value for my time. So I love that you highlighted that. One thing I want to, to call out for the audience is that outsourcing, you know, the beautiful thing about the time that we live in is 
the availability of technology and people from across the globe. And outsourcing is not just limited to businesses now. I mean, you can outsource just about any task or activity that you can imagine from doing your laundry to getting your groceries to, you know, cleaning your house, mowing your lawn, picking up dog poop. It doesn't matter what it is. You can outsource virtually any activity now. And so even in your own life, as you're thinking about like how much time you get to direct toward those really big priorities and focus areas, and you're wondering how do you get that extra two hours a day, as you mentioned, outsourcing is something to consider both professionally and personally. Now, thinking about that and and getting to this point of outsourcing, what makes an outsourcing engagement a really successful one? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think when a lot of people think of outsourcing, they think of maybe the, the lower level, maybe a Filipino executive assistant or whatever you want to call it. But there's so many different levels. I mean, we have Facebook ad people who cost 75 bucks an hour or graphic designers that are in the 20s. And yes, they're more expensive. But with this gig economy, you don't have to hire them 40 hours a week. You can hire them for three hours and, and that could save you tons of money down the line. So and there's a lot of different successful outcomes. I mean, one of them is if you do actually get your time of the day back. I have people that cover my Skypes and emails 24-7. When I wake up at 5 a.m., I have, hey, here are four emails that we wanted to leave for you. The rest have been handled, and I get a head start to my day. So I would consider that a success. The other side of it is projects are getting done consistently when I'm on vacation. I just got back from Seattle yesterday. All these graphic design projects, all these blog articles are live on our blog, and I wasn't even there. So that's an example of success. And then the other side of it is just avoiding mistakes. I can't tell you how many experts I've hired to come in and just review stuff that I've been doing. And yes, I paid them a few hundred dollars, but it saved me thousands of dollars down the line. So that there's a lot of different ways that you can see success when you're hiring. It's not always a cut and dry, easy ROI, but a lot of times it can be. Well, and, and to your point, you know, outsourcing it doesn't it, it doesn't have to be about those uh, you know in the weeds tasks, and even if it is, one of the the advantages when outsourcing is done right is that you get it done better. You get a better quality work product that comes out of it from somebody who does it regularly, versus me who you know is kind of taking a shot at it, trying to get it done. Um, and it's probably, you know, mediocre because I haven't spent as much time learning it or dealing in it. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the beautiful part about having a global economy, having access to all of these individuals is that you can get really high level skills done, um, efficiently and effectively through this, this method. So if I, if I'm thinking, you know, either personally or professionally, and I'm thinking, you know, there might be some value to outsourcing some efforts. What steps do I take to make it successful? Because I, you know, one of and I'll, maybe I should give a little bit of background on this. One of my experiences has been that um, when I haven't done the front end work and I just try to hand something off, it has been a disaster. It's been uh, it hasn't worked out and played out well. And it wasn't necessarily that individual's fault. It was probably my fault because I didn't do some groundwork up front. So that's probably a little leading, but what does it look like to create a successful engagement, um, even if you're working with the most phenomenally skilled person? Yeah, I actually gave a talk on this at a conference a few weeks ago. I call it my five-step process. And the first step we kind of outlined before where it's figuring out what do I actually take off my plate? What am I hiring someone to do? 
Step two is figuring out what does your perfect person look like? Because I promise you, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. Is it a a top US marketing expert that can help you for the next two years? Is it a graphic designer in the Philippines for a short-term project? What's your budget? What's your What kind of attitude are you looking for? What kind of culture? What kind of people do you like dealing with? Um, there's so many factors. So really writing out what your perfect person looks like. Step three would be using a marketplace like Upwork or like FreeUp, um, getting applicants and interviewing them to make sure that they're the right fit for you. Um, when we interview, we're vetting people for their skill, but also their attitude and their communication as well. Um, because we found that, yes, someone could be a three out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 skill wise, depending on what you need. But the attitude and the communication a lot of times determines whether that's a good experience. So if you are hiring on your own, make sure you're not just focused on their, their resume and their references and their skill, Make sure you want to you want to find people that are passionate about what they do, that are in it for more than the paycheck, that can communicate at a very high level. And if you are using free up, and we've already done that for you, you really want to focus on, hey, is this person the right fit for me? Because even the best freelancers in the world aren't the best fit for every single client in the world. So once you figure that out, step four is setting those expectations, and that's where so many people go wrong. They hire someone and they, they just get started right away, and then it turns into a he said, she said, or there's some kind of miscommunication. You need to get on the same page with someone right from the beginning. And then last is the feedback loop, which we kind of talked about um, in a different angle. But the feedback loop is so important. Being direct with someone, hey, I really like how this is going. These are things I don't like because these are freelancers. They have lots of different clients who want all the sorts of different things. So having that strong communication on the back end where you're giving feedback and you're taking feedback too leads to those great long-term relationships. That's great. I love those uh, those five steps. I think that's a strong insight for how to make it a successful engagement. Um, I'm curious about on the front end of that, how do you actually decide what pieces to take off your plate? Yeah, it's a great question. I like to focus on things. The things that I take off my plate first are things that are taking up a lot of my time without a direct ROI, things that are easy to take off my plate in terms of how long it will actually take someone to to get up and running. If something is going to take me two months to get something off my plate, that might get prioritized below something that might take me a few days because I want to get those hours back faster. Um, and then in terms of the weaknesses and the strengths, for me, honestly, I do a lot of trial and error. That's how I do business. I, I'm not one to necessarily listen to the gurus out there. So I focus on low risk, high reward situations first. And what I mean by that is I hire a team in the Philippines to do my lead generation. I hire someone to run my Instagram account for a few months, someone to run my Twitter. And let's take the Instagram account, for example. What's the worst case scenario? After three months, I've spent a few hundred dollars and I move on and I get someone else. What's the best case scenario? It's something that's off my plate that's getting me new clients and an ROI and, and, and it's just expanding my brand and my following. And so Stuff like that, I consider those low risk, high reward situations rather than just dumping $20,000 into a Facebook ad agency. If you're a startup, if you can figure out what are those low risk opportunities and you focus on those first, I think you'll have a lot more success. That's perfect. And I, that's really tangible, actionable insight. I love uh, that you gave some structure on how to think through what to prioritize in terms of taking off your plate. Um, one thing I am curious about is kind of what the future looks like for outsourcing, for the gig economy. What do you see happening in the future with within this space? 
I mean, I only see it getting bigger. If you look at it from the freelancer side or the remote worker side, there's so many benefits from, yes, you don't have to drive into work every day and you can work in your pajamas. But if you think of it just from a, a revenue side, they can now diversify their revenue. They're not relying on one employer anymore, where if that person lays people off, they're they're totally screwed. I mean, they can have a portfolio of different clients with different tasks so that if one drops off, it's not the end of the world. They don't have to go on welfare. So th- there's so many benefits from that side. And then on the client side, I mean, there's endless benefits to no overhead, to not having to hire people full-time when you don't need it, to getting access to talent from all over the world. So I see it continuing to go up and up and up unless something drastic comes in to shake the space, which no one can predict. That's the direction that I see it going. I, I would agree with some of that. I'm curious, do you see any challenges coming up to that kind of growth and structure? I mean, I'm curious how the the workforce will react to it. If all of a sudden 75% of people are working remote, I'm sure that there are going to be different laws and challenges and, and the government trying to react to it. But I mean, that stuff, it, it's so hard to predict. It's so hard to kind of figure that out. You can only focus on what advantages you have. And I mean, the bottom line is if you're not taking advantage of this gig economy, you're really missing out and your competitors either are or they're going to to at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really curious to see how it how it uh, develops as well. I, I, you know, there's always going to be something that's unpredicted that surfaces, and I'm curious to see what that is. But I agree with you that it's going to continue to grow, and I think that there's evidence of that, just in terms of how much different type of stuff can be outsourced. Like I tell my team all the time, if you're struggling or you're stuck or you're stalled on something. I don't care what it is. I guarantee we can outsource that to somebody. Like there is somebody that will do that thing, that task. And, uh, and some of them aren't used to that. So they think, well, it has to be done. Uh, I'm the only one that can do that. Or it seems like a really odd task to outsource. And this is more task-based, not necessarily role-based. But what I found is you can literally find somebody to do virtually any task that you're stuck or stalled on. And so I, one of the things I encourage both on a personal and professional level is when you're stuck on something and you're not making progress on it and there is a really obvious task that's holding you up, don't just stay stalled when you can't get yourself to do that or you're not making progress. Find somebody else that can do it. Outsource that work so that you can maintain momentum, you can get unstuck, you can keep moving forward. And I think that's one of the biggest values that comes from the ability to outsource stuff is it frees up that opportunity to keep moving forward even when you yourself may not be able to keep the motion uh, all alone. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I try to tell people, especially when I talk to um, new potential clients or people struggling on the phone, try to think of it in three different levels of people. So you've got the basic level freelancers in that five to 10 range. They might have years of experience, but they're there to follow your systems, your processes, how you want it done. The way that you want it done might be different than another client. Then you've got those mid-level people, maybe 10 to 30, US or non-US. They're there because they're specialists. They do the same thing eight to 10 hours every day. Maybe it's graphic design, bookkeeping, writing, and you're not hiring them to teach them how to be a bookkeeper. You're hiring them to do a specific task at a high level, not necessarily to consult with you either. And then you got the experts, the 25 and up that can come in, they can 
audit what you're doing, help create a game plan, help project manage, help create systems and processes for those basic level um, people. And if you kind of use that mentality and you're hiring those right levels, when you run into a bind, hey, I need this article written, let's hire a specialist. Hey, I'm stuck when it comes to marketing. Let's hire a marketing expert to come in and audit what I'm doing. Or, hey, I've been doing this data entry work every day for the past three months. It's time to take it off my plate. And you go to the basic level, that's when you have a lot of success hiring, when you understand that you have all three resources at your disposal at all times. Yeah, that's great insight. As you were talking, I was wondering about that. You know, we talked about some of the potential challenges and implications, and I wonder if one of the potential challenges that I, I don't know how it surfaces, but one of the potential challenges is if the gig economy continues to grow, does it create more specialization? And is there risk when individuals become ultra specialized? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of tell you a story kind of off of that. I mean, it, it's tough when you when you kind of put all your eggs in one basket on people and you're relying on people for that specialty. Um, or the same thing happens if you're relying on people for, let's say, too many tasks, because a lot of people, they fall into that, that situation where they made a bunch of bad hires and then they find someone they really like. So what do they do? They, they load them up with everything. And I had a situation in the past where I, I hired someone, I spent six months, I invested in them. I went on my first vacation in over probably a year. This was way back, like right when I graduated um, from college and the person quit on me on the first day. And it kind of, it, it kind of put me in perspective that putting all your eggs in one basket is incredibly risky. And the same thing happens when you're hiring these specialists. Um, if you're not diversifying you, the different people in your business, you're going to run into very similar issues across the board. Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, as we're kind of closing up here, what are the big pieces of advice in terms of more general entrepreneurship? Since you've had some success in that space, you've been able to work through some challenges. What are maybe the top two pieces of advice you would give to entrepreneurs? So the first is don't be afraid of failure. And I know that's incredibly generic, but I'll, I'll put that in perspective. There are podcasts that it has taken me two years to become a guest on. And because I'm respectful, but I continue to follow up. I continue to put myself out there. And I get, I mean, now I probably get rejected less than before, but I still get rejected a lot. And when I was first starting free up, the reaction was, oh, great. Another freelancer marketplace. That's exactly what the world needs, right? So I continued to put myself out there. And when I got a no, I wasn't angry. I wasn't aggressive. I, I was respectful and I followed up later and I continued to, to move forward. So a lot of people, they don't have that mentality when it comes to sales or even whether you call it lead generation or whatever you want to call it. And they, they kind of give up too quick and they, they don't realize that a nose can turn into yeses over time. And that doesn't mean every no is going to come into a yes, but hustle, be persistent, get yourself out there. Don't be afraid to get rejected. Even if that means emailing some big shot influencer to try to get in front of their audience, you, you have to start doing that stuff over and over and over, especially in this age of having everyone on social media, everyone in these different communities, you really have to put yourself out there and not be afraid of failure. I think that is a great insight. And, and actually being on the kind of the opposite side of that being one who um, frequently gets reached out to by people uh, either wanting you know my time, my money, or my attention uh, on social media as well as other platforms. I would say that there is something to speak to that. You know where I have changed my mind on somebody because of 
uh, not just persistence in and of itself. Persistence can also be annoyance, but persistence with value behind it um, has shifted my perspective on somebody who I've said no to, you know, a half a dozen times, but because they were consistently delivering value to me and they were persistent, I shifted and turned that no into a yes. And I've taken time and energy um, and money to invest in them because of that. So I would just echo from the other standpoint, um, it does work. I mean, if you're really focused on adding value and you are persistent, those two things combined can definitely turn no's into yeses. Yeah. And like you said, there's the right way to go about it and there's a wrong way to go about it. That doesn't mean harass people every day or every week. And it also doesn't mean doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I mean, you might have to tweak your value proposition. You might have to tweak your offering, your sales pitch, your email, whatever it is um, in order to try to get a different result. Yeah, most definitely. All right, Nathan. So, uh, so free up is the organization. Where can people, if they want to check you out, if they want to go uh, find out more information about you, about free up, what are the best best sources for them to do that? Cool. Did you want me to give a second one, or is that one good? <laughs> <laughs> do you have more? That I mean, obviously, free up is is the big one. But do you have more places that you would encourage people to follow up, or are you engaged? <laughs> no, in social I was media? talking about. I was talking about the tips. You you asked for two tips. I think I only gave one. Unless you oh, oh, I think I, I thought that was a really solid one. So let's let's keep it at one. Cool. I'm good with it if you are. Yeah. So freeup.com with three E's. Um, my calendar is right at the top. If you want to book a time with me um, to speak free about your business, um, I'm there. You can create a free account, mention this podcast and get a $25 credit added to your account to try us out. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, the real Nate Hirsch and me and my team are there to help you however we can. I love it. Uh, so to repeat again, that's free up with three E's. Um, and Nathan's just giving you a ton of resources, a ton of advice and insight. Really appreciate having Nathan on today. Um, I'm excited to connect and, and check out his platform. I've done a, a ton of outsourcing um, and excited to start using free up for some of the work that I do. And, uh, and he's been kind enough to offer a little perk uh, if you mention this podcast. So Nathan, thanks a ton for your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks, that has been an episode of The Art of Strategic Reaction. Thanks for joining us and listen up for the next episode.